Hello. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Eric. And this is Weird Flicks, but okay. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about two Oscar-nominated films now, and that is Parasite and 1917. Yes. I had to double think that. The year? Yeah. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? <laughs> you said the wrong year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 1942. Because not only is it the name of the movie, but it's like an important historical. It is. Yeah. Year, so. <laughs> it's an important time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't forget that year, folks. It's 1917. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Parasite first. Sure. Yeah. And then we'll discuss 1917. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while since we saw Parasite and it has been out for a while. Yes. So this is going to be good because Eric's memory is a little better than mine. So he can like <laughs> guide us all through we'll this journey. That. Yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> um, so real quick, I'm just going to read the summary off of Google because honestly, this movie is so many things. I just couldn't do it myself. It's pretty wild. So uh, Parasite is... Let's see. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. That's what Google says. Okay. That's very concise. <laughs> it doesn't even <laughs> scratch the surface. No. Um, but I think... It's also a bit of a misnomer because um, symbiotic relationship would, uh, would imply that it's not parasitic because parasites are, right. you know, not symbiotic there yeah but we could definitely you could definitely argue that because i feel like it could be a symbiotic relationship if you look at it in a certain way but i get what they're referring to when they say parasite yeah i think um, if you were lacking a little bit of humanity maybe it's easier to say symbiotic but yeah true they both they both <laughs> work yeah yeah okay where do you start do you want to talk about did you like it? <laughs> so I did. I liked Parasite. I kind of went into it. I don't know what I was expecting. Like I tried to push expectations out of my brain because mm -hmm. um, I had heard that you think this is one thing and then it's something else. Yeah. So I expected that and somehow still thought it would be something else else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I... I liked it after the first viewing, but it took a little while for me to like marinate on it to really decide how much I liked it. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a, that's sort of a misleading. I remember seeing that in the trailer. It's saying you think it's one thing and then it's something else. And it's so easy to assume that the thinking it's one thing is that it's like normal and that it's something else becomes like horrific. But that's not really what it is, I think. I think it's like pretty quickly becomes something horrific and then it becomes something else. Like, yeah, it's like there's another layer on top of what you might assume is like the twist they're referring to. Right. But, yeah, there's yeah. a couple of twists. Yeah. So this is directed also by Bong Joon-ho, who also directed The Host. Old Boy. If any of you seen that. Old Boy. And Snowpiercer. And Snowpiercer. And others. And Snowpiercer is in English, right? Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, but those others are all yeah, those subtitled. Others are not, those are Korean. Right. Movies. So this Parasite is also Korean. 
and and the uh, the original old boy, not the remake. Oh yeah, Spike that Lee. that one that one doesn't exist. Spike, I think it was Spike Lee that did it. Hmm. I didn't see it. I didn't either. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist yeah. in my world not yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, and he did a really great job with Parasite. It's weird. I feel like. It's interesting how this is the first one he's really getting recognition for. Yeah. I mean, the host and I mean, all those movies actually that we just mentioned were really good. Yeah. But here he is knocking out a banger with Parasite. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Old Boy and Snowpiercer, especially those two have like a very big cult cult following for sure. But Parasite like broke through to the absolute mainstream right which i love because it is it is korean like it's a foreign film to us and it's hard (laughs) and it's hard everyone's foreign to someone yeah exactly it's just hard to some for some people it's hard to get them to go watch a movie where they have to watch subtitles yes which is which i feel sad to say but i don't know oh it's definitely true i mean like (laughs) It's it's a it's a different level of commitment from an audience. And I think the average moviegoer is and I think this still even surprises me how often this is the case that people want to go to movies and they want to eat popcorn and have fun Mm -hmm. and leave the movies being like, that was cool. And like, that's it. Like, that was the whole takeaway. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's it. I mean, media is what you make of it, mm-hmm. and, and art is as entertaining as you make it. And there is, I, I don't take anything away from people who observe movies like that because that's just like if you enjoyed it, then the movie did its job, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, but there's a different, I think, way to watch movies. And, you know, you can become, there are movies that make you think and that are more analytical. Uh, and more psychological and more philosophical. And I think this movie hits a lot of that stuff. And it's also behind, you know, this this barrier of subtitles. So it is really cool that a movie with subtitles has this amount of success in a Western uh, market. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the Oscars it is nominated for is Best Picture. So it's insane. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so cool. And very deserving of it. Like, I, I I, don't want it to sound like I'm just glad that it's on there in the same way that it's like, I'm just glad a woman is running for president. Like, I'm I'm legitimately glad that this movie is getting Oscar attention. Right. Like, it's yeah. It's really, really good. Right. Not just for the sake of it, but because this movie deserves it yes. for sure. Yeah. So we start out with, oh, I'm mixing up the family's names. <laughs> yeah. I, it's been a long time since we've seen this movie. It has. It's been a while. So I don't yeah. remember anyone's names. I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, the first names, forget it. But I can do the <laughs> last names. So we start out with the Kim family mm-hmm. living in their little basement apartment. Yeah. It's like half above the ground, yeah. like a split level would be. And in sort of like a destitute neighborhood very low class neighborhood yeah yeah right right off the bat you can tell it's low class yeah um there's like a there's an incident of like a person urinating on their 
basically their only view of the world. Yeah. Um, They're like very narrow window where they can see sunlight. This man's urinating right on the corner. That part was kind of funny because they like accept these things almost as like a normalcy. Yeah. For them, it is normal. Yeah, exactly. And, And I think they they don't seem uncomfortable like like they they've essentially they've adapted to the situation um and you see them trying to get wi-fi by like climbing up on top of all the furniture yeah. there's like one little pocket in the house that has it and, and then someone accidentally like fumigates their house while yep. they're sitting in it while they're in it yeah and they have to and the dad just tells them to cover their nose and mouth it's and a stay in the free house. yeah <laughs> free uh What's extermination? Free extermination. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which is, you know, all of these things. I think that it's, we're made to think that it's funny because the conditions are extreme and, and, and all this stuff. And they, they play it as a bit of like deadpan humor. Yeah, they do. They play, do play it up with humor. Yeah. But I think that there is a latent like ho- horror to that too. And, the movie explores that as we go on, but you know, I don't think it's supposed to be like funny in the long term that they're so poor. Like, I think it's actually supposed to be a very bad thing. Mm-hmm. And we see that as it goes on. And just because they are resilient and adaptable and can survive in that situation doesn't mean that it's what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, but we'll get into that as we go on. Yeah, and I know we said this movie is kind of one thing and then it's another, and it is in terms of events, but I think the overall theme is pretty concise. It's wealth and poverty. Class yeah, class struggle. Class, class struggle, yeah. Yeah. Class warfare, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. So who is the parasite? The rich or the poor? Ooh. <laughs> Good question. So I think that in the in the most like blatant terms of the movie's one thing and then it's another i think we are to assume that the poor people are the parasites at the beginning because they leech off this rich family right they work their way into this family's like unit and essentially they lie their way into being having these lives of comfort like under the essentially like under the the wings of this fan this incredibly wealthy family Mm -hmm. um and i think that the obvious sort of like first thing is the movie is making them feel like parasites uh to the audience because they're just mooching they're leeching they're taking advantage of these wealthy people Mm -hmm. but where would the wealthy be without all these Right. Working class or poor people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think by the end of the movie, we see that like society is essentially being leached off of by these rich people who take so much of, you know, it's it's like a distribution of wealth thing. They They consume so much, but they don't redistribute and they keep it for themselves. And regardless of whether or not you want to call any one of these people a villain, it's a systemic problem. And it is this thing where rich people are, you know, like you hear about it all the time where like the top 1% of America makes more than the bottom 
99% or whatever it is, which is absurd. That's an absurd statistic. And arguably it's immoral when you think about the fact that there are homeless people dying in the streets. So like, I think that's the question is like, who's leeching off of who? Yeah. And it's not necessarily a one way street, but I think from like a human argument, there's like a pretty obvious one of these is more a problem than the other mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. So the Kim family, as Eric was just saying, kind of one by one take over household jobs in it's the parks. Yes. The park family's house. Yeah. Um, and they're very rich. Very rich. You know, they say money talks, wealth whispers. Yeah. <laughs> and they are very, they're very mild mannered too. At least for most of the film, mm-hmm. I think maybe you could argue the dad isn't as much. He like you actually see him have emotions, but I feel like the mom is so like stoic at times. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of all business. But you're talking about the parks, right? Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they're making their way into that household and eventually they do it successfully. So they're all working for this family and kind of living off of them as they do it. Uh, And so in the family, the Kim's family, there's the mom and dad. And then we have a sister and brother. I wish I could say their or remember their first names. I can't remember anyone's names. It's been too long, but the, the movie sort of focuses on the, the, son slash brother for it does at first and then i feel like uh the daughter becomes a pretty prominent character as well yeah i think that she i kind of have a lot to say about her she's definitely interesting very interesting so she's very smart super smart both technologically and she just seems to have like her wits about her yep um, so she's smart. She didn't get into art school, I think. So she's just kind of been home doing nothing. I mean, she's working, but yeah, she's, she's, she's working like a labor job because right. they all are, because that's all they have. Exactly. So she's not working, you know, in the field that she wants or using her smarts. And then the son is pretty street smart, but that's about where it ends for him. He failed his, I think, was it college entrance exam or whatever they call it a few times. So um, he kind of fudges one in order to get this job with the family uh, teaching their son. And then we have the parents. Yeah. I don't know. They seem. It's so hard because no one in the family seems lazy. No, I don't. They're think, they yeah. all work pretty hard, especially when you see them hustling into this family's home. Yeah, they're working to do like. Oh, they're working real hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're very, very, very smart about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really interesting movie because I feel like it does make you you can learn about yourself. I think based on what you take away from this movie, and one of the things that I feel like you can learn about yourself is the way that you view other people based on the information that you have. And, you know, we're shown the lives of these, this incredibly destitute family. And we know that they work their asses off. Like 
just to make whatever meager amount of money they make just like in the labor force and they all sort of like have to work together because you know no one of them could sustain the uh income of the family so they're sort of like all working to pay towards this communal income for the family and we see them uh not being lazy but just like you know when they i think they seem like people like when they get home and they're just like chilling out and they and they seem like there's a lethargy there that i think people watching this movie might think like lazy poor people and then right that's what there's I was a th- whole yeah. thing that people associate with that exactly and i think that's a really dangerous path to go down of thinking that because like that's how we get a lot of like prejudice and bias and that's a lot of what perpetuates class struggle in this country and and all over the world um and when you look at the parks it's like the the husband slash father is the income and mm-hmm. like you know their their family structure is very different from right he's the sole income yeah he's the only income for the family and the mother is sort of like this busybody who is just sort of like trying to do what's best for her children but clearly she's not like super competent at that like on she's her not own. super competent she's not very smart yeah. they definitely play her off as being a little dumb being honestly. kind of dumb yeah. yeah um and naive and definitely naive and you know i think that her ignorance is sort of like what lets the kim family work its way into their family oh absolutely um and then her influence on the husband kind of backs that up yeah like he's sort of just trusting her with these things and she's making really reckless decisions because she doesn't seem to have a very good compass for (laughs) making life choices right and then yeah you've got this family just sort of infiltrates this other Mm -hmm. family and they're all lying and sort of passing it off as just like oh we all kind of know each other from these different jobs they're not saying they're a family yeah um Right, exactly. So, which is, that in itself is interesting because the idea that they have to lie um, to not reveal that they are a family, mm-hmm. uh, I think speaks itself to like how weird our perception of like a work ethic is and, yeah. you know, nepotism and is it like becoming a handout if you're just like hosting a family basically or Right. And like, is that a problem? You know, like there's just so right. many layers of like. Yeah. They weren't doing it just to do it. Like they had reason behind it or reason to think that that would make them more successful. Yeah. Um, so the Park family, the wealthy family, this is when it starts to kind of get twisty. So they leave to go camping and the Kims are kind of running the household. They're living in that house essentially while the parks are gone. Um, and they're unaware that they're all kind of leeching off of their food and watching TV there. And they're all kind of having a, I don't know, a good time. Like people that have never had money, will yeah, never have money to buy any of these things. Like making the best of this 
moment of like unrestricted behavior in this house. It's like they're treating it like a vacation or something. Yeah. And then they get a knock at the door or a ring of the doorbell and it's the old not nanny housekeeper housekeeper Housekeeper, yeah Yeah, the housekeeper that they ousted in order to work there uh, and they end up letting her in so this is where things start to get like pretty weird weird this is where it takes a turn yeah when does the family come home is it home that night is it after the visit from the housekeeper yep okay the housekeeper comes first they she basically begs that they let her in um it seems weird like that she's there it seems like a weird situation Mm -hmm. and the kim family is very wary of her entering the house yeah for multiple reasons probably because she could easily out them based on how they've been treating the house that night and uh she was fired under very uh they basically just got her fired like in a very sort of cruel way um so i think that when she comes back in the house the kim family goes into like you know fight or flight mode and they're thinking like yeah and they're already kind of on edge because they're you know doing something they're they don't want to get caught doing yeah so when she comes in she's like oh i'll i just have to go do something and she like opens up this weird secret room that no one knew about and goes down into the basement of the house. Yeah, she moves the whole ass bookcase. Yep. <laughs> and uh like Batman style. Yeah. And um she goes down, she descends into this like weird sort of like underground, it looks like a fallout. Like a bunker, yeah. Bunker within the house or something. And down there is a man who's just been there like for who knows for how who long. knows how long yeah. i don't know if they even if I they, think say, they or say for a while because okay. they go into a story a little bit but this man is the husband of the old housekeeper right and yeah keep up <laughs> <laughs> and uh he's he's been down here this whole time and the the park family does not know that he's mm-hmm. there and the housekeeper is kind of sneaking him food and yeah you know, basic human needs, and he's living down there. He's living down there. You find out that he basically was, like, a gambler, and he got in deep with some sharks, like, a long time ago, and as a means of, like, hiding from them for, in perpetuity, apparently, he, his wife and him come up with this scheme where he lives his entire life out in this shelter thing. And never goes outside. And the housekeeper would sneak him stuff from the house as she's going um, throughout her her tasks and her job and stuff. So when she was fired, essentially, he was just he's been down there like starving Mm -hmm. since she was fired. Um, And she was desperate to get back in to feed him and stuff. And honestly, like when this moment first happens um she doesn't seem like the the old housekeeper she seems like she's desperate and she doesn't seem like 
she has any ill will towards the new housekeeping no. mom. I don't think she's really regarding the family being there at all. Right. Well, she doesn't know. Is she right. to her? It's only the mom that's there. Oh, that's right. There's the family hiding. was hiding. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So, like, while they're having this conversation, the family like makes noise and falls down the stairwell. Yeah. And then she sees that there's they are all a family, and she's like, "What is going on here?" And then she takes a picture of them all together, and she's like, "I'll show this to the." the park family and then the family's like well your husband's down here so they both kind of like have something on each other yeah it becomes this like double blackmailing type situation where they're holding leverage over each other yeah it doesn't end well it doesn't end well nope uh because there's like a scuffle and then the family the park family ends up coming home early because their uh camping trip got rained out and so they return home that night and both of these groups, the Kims and the, the uh, couple are like scrambling to, you know, get out of the situation. Basically. Right. And then uh, sort of like inadvertently, I don't think she meant to do it, but the, the mother of the Kim family basically kills the, the, the woman um from yeah. the couple she kicks her down the stairwell which was really sad actually it was awful and she breaks her neck <laughs> when she hits the bottom and uh yeah it's just horrible and her husband of like forever just watching that happen and i think he's handcuffed he's handcuffed he can't too, do so anything he can't, about it yeah he can't get up and help her yeah and then so the kim family you know, runs up the stairs and closes the bookcase. So you have the old housekeeper at the bottom of the stairs pretty much dying. Yeah. And her husband just chained up watching her die. That's horrific. Oh, it's just awful. It's just awful. Um, And then you have the Kim family sort of continuing to try to be normal in, in the house. Uh, but the, the man who was in the basement he gets free and he escapes and he basically walks out during the family having like a big party and uh, starts killing people with a knife. Yeah. So this is the other part where it just goes nuts. Yeah. Just this, goes nuts. This is kind of what I was waiting for, like some kind of bloodshed. Yeah. <laughs> this actually, I should say that I'm, I'm skipping ahead because there's a scene that night mm -hmm. where the family gets out of the house. The Kims get out of the Park family house. Oh, yeah. And they go home in the storm. I actually, this is one of my favorite parts. So, so I'm surprised good. I forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and their house is literally flooded, like, mm -hmm. all the way to the top. And the daughter goes into the house. I think they're trying to salvage stuff or something. But they yeah. realize, like, there's really no point because mm -hmm. the house is completely flooded. Total loss. And she gets up on like the highest point in the uh, house or apartment, uh, which is where the toilet is. And she lights a cigarette and she just starts smoking. She's like sitting in shit water, basically <laughs> smoking a cigarette. And yeah. that it's a that's a tremendous scene. Like yeah, this. this is kind of like the climax of watching the stark contrast between the wealthy and the impoverished. Yeah. The whole, the whole neighborhood, if you want to call it that, that they're living in too, everyone's kind of scrambling doing the same thing because their houses are flooding as well. Yeah. It's just, 
I don't know. I felt things watching this. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so powerful. She, yeah. It feels like rats, you know, like yeah. stuck in a in a sinking ship. And the rats are people. And like where I think so easily societally we are made to be able to compartmentalize the fact that that's just happening everywhere all the time and we do that in order to like go about our lives and stuff but looking at and she's the thing that i think is really powerful too is that like the movie doesn't play the kims like they don't do anything wrong it doesn't excessively like make them these innocent like angelic no not by any not by any stretch of the imagination like they're just people yeah and like why would you expect them to be better than they are given what they've had growing up like they've been in full survival mode since they were born Mm -hmm. and generations before that and it's just been like that like you know they're born into poverty they live in poverty they die in poverty and that's all they know. They know that there's something better out there, but they and they want it. And but they want it, but they it's don't. so unattainable yeah. for them. And you know, Korea isn't America, also. So, like, I think it's important to keep in mind that like the idea of the American dream is something that's kind of unique to this country. The mm-hmm. idea that like all of our poor people are obsessed with the idea that they're going to like win the lottery and mm-hmm. become famous and get their 15 minutes of fame and become a celebrity and a success story because it's happened to some people, which means that all hundreds of millions of Americans think that it could happen to them. And that's obviously statistically just not going to happen. Yeah. And it's this really awful sort of pipe dream that I think, you know, keeps poor people down and it keeps them doing stupid things like buying lottery tickets and, all this stuff and and there's there's no system in place to like help them and and truly help them and i mean there are some programs and that's great but like it's not enough and when you go to korea i they're a very westernized country i know they were sort of like rebuilt post korean war by america and the allies and stuff and i think that probably has a big impact on their lifestyle and the way that they see the world and maybe they have some of that american dream thing but i think it's also important to acknowledge that like this is a different country and they probably it's not like exactly the same as it's not but there is like a similar class disparity between their upper and middle and or upper and lower yeah and we you know we have similar problems and then also on the other side of the coin i know you were saying how they portrayed them not as these innocent like poor me people. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the parks, which I don't think were portrayed in a overtly as evil, no. like wealthy. They were just sort of normal people living their lives. Yeah. Seemingly, Both families are just people. Right. And like, they, I think if anything, they're unaware or blissfully ignorant or, I mean, why would they ever even think about how the poor are living, I guess. So because they're so detached from it. Right. And I think that's like the point is like, they're literally living in two different like hemispheres. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's like when the, when the Kim family has to run back to their house, they're literally like going downhill and like, you know, getting deeper and deeper into like an actual 
like storm of mud and shit and filth and all this stuff. And yeah, it's that's such a powerful moment, I think, when they have to flee that house and like, oh, yeah, the descent back into their old house. Absolutely. The whole that whole sequence from when they leave that house or sneak back out um, up until they're back at the house for the party yeah. is just incredible. A lot of really great shots too, that I like stick out in my mind. And then that's when they really kind of drive home that, you know, idea of how poor they are. Yeah. I mean, in a more like blatant way, you can see it. Yeah, yeah exactly. This no. metaphorical descent into like, and you see the, they were to right, they were and you see the family feeling it in a way that's not humorous anymore. So that kind of it's brings very it, heavy. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, and I just, I think that all of the brilliance of this movie lies in the nuance of not needing to make the Kim family seem like innocent victim heroes and not needing to make the Park family look like horrific monsters right like i feel like get out was a similar kind of movie but it did do that like mm -hmm. white people were monstrous and black right. people were like they were normal they were like right people. And, and then here it's like there's a problem but the it's not i don't know how the to problem is 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 something that is like intangible by comparison right. yeah where like i think that and I, I love Get Out. Like, that's not... Mm -hmm. It's just that it's two different tonal choices about, like, how to portray, you know, the villainy of a societal issue where, like, Jordan Peele decided that the white people in that movie would actually be directly villainous. Like, mm -hmm. they all... Their hands are all bloody, you know, like, with the... Right. With what is happening. Yeah. And Definitely just a different way to tell the story. To tell like a very similar story. Yeah. Cause like in Parasite, that you don't look at the parks and think like they're evil. They don't do anything that makes you feel like they're bad people, really. Like they're just people. Yeah. And I mean, the father is like maybe makes a douchey comment here or there. Yeah. The father's like, you know, he makes very subtle like class related comments yeah. but it's like that's not it doesn't feel evil he just no. feels like he's lived in upper class all his life and he struggles to like you know deal with lower class people. right why would he know any different why would he know any different because it's all he's been around he even and, mentions like the poor people smell yes and that comes back in a very uh important way in this final party scene so yeah, he had described that like the the smell of poor people is so disruptive to him, and and seeing the way that affected the father from the Kim family was just made me so sad. Oh my god, it's so sad. I think what's another thing that's so brilliant about this movie is like it's not like operatic levels of emotion. No, like the 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 dad his face is like normal like he has relatively flat affect but he's like you can still see it in yeah the, in his eyes and you really can beautiful acting of like a, a man a real human being person who's seeing something that is so monstrous to them mm -hmm. and 
his reaction to it, it's almost like automatic, like, you know, like he's not even in control of himself. Like it just happens. So what I'm alluding to is when the uh, guy who's been living in the basement all this time emerges and starts sort of just going at this party with a knife, uh, he ends up stabbing the daughter. Um, and before that he had bludgeoned the son with a rock. Mm-hmm. Well, who I thought was a goner, but he, he lived. lived. Yeah. Uh, the daughter didn't though. No. She stabbed and she dies. Interesting that Bong Joon-ho chose her to be the one that dies. Mm-hmm. She's the one that showed the most promise in the family. Yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah. She was so accomplished and driven and, and so like ambitious and I feel like she's really the reason that their whole plan worked out. Worked. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but yeah, so the guy stabs her um, and she's bleeding out and he ends up getting stopped. I feel like he gets stabbed and I can't. Yeah, but no one else is really, no one else is killed. No, but the son of the parts. Oh, sorry. Actually, I misspoke. Don't they, the guy that comes from the basement, he was killed, right? Yeah. Okay, yes. So there's two people that were killed. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's killed. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. thought you meant no one else besides Yeah, no, I just had to the... rehash that real quick. He's killed. That's who, I'm not remembering who killed him. That's what Yeah. I mean. But um, the son had seen him earlier in the movie uh, in like a vision where the, the parents thought he was like, seeing a made-up person and it had startled him so much and he had like a some sort of attack um like an episode and they had to bring him to the hospital um so that essentially he sees the the guy that was in the basement at the end of the movie again and it induces another episode again and he seizes and they have to get him to the hospital they they made a comment earlier about how much time they have to be able to get him to the hospital safely. Yeah, but also rewind real quick because the dad for the Kim family also stabbed somebody in the wealthier family. He's on the run. That's the point. Yeah, that has happened. Yeah. yeah. I was getting to why he does that. Okay. So um, the kid goes into a seizure and then the Park family father has to get him to the hospital and he has to get the keys to the car which are have fallen out of his pocket or something and they're under the body of the guy that's been killed who was on the basement and on upon approaching that guy he plugs his nose because the smell is so awful of this guy that's been in the basement and the father of the kim family sees that and basically something snaps in his mind and he's sort of all of the the pain and trauma of being looked down upon by the upper class sort of like explodes out in this moment and he gets up and he takes the knife and he stabs the dad Mm -hmm. and kills him uh and then now, I hope this isn't too confusing to follow because we're just like this dad and that dad. I know the dad. plot's crazy and we're not <laughs> telling names, but 
what are you going to do? So. I mean, I'm assuming anyone who's listening to this probably has seen it. Has seen it. We're just sort of like recapping. Rehashing it. Yeah. Because it's important for context as to like what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But so he, he stabs um, one father, the poor father stabs the rich father. And uh, then he basically, we cut to later um, where the, the poor father has gone missing. Um, the rich family is like moving out of that house. Another rich family is moving into that house. Mm-hmm. Um, the son has recovered from his head injury. The daughter has died from her knife wound. And then the son goes to like observe the house and sees like a Morse code happening in the light, uh, the lights in the house. And he realizes that he's being sent a message and his father is now in the basement where that guy had been. Right. And his Morse code message is this huge long thing that, uh, he's so sending every night so that the son might see it and, and get the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does. And it says basically like, uh, I knew as soon as I did what I did, that there was only one place I could go. And he hid in yeah. the same place. And then the son kind of walks us through like his plan to get the father out and we see it as as if it's happening yes Uh, so he plans that he's going to work and eventually him and his mother will have enough money to buy that house and then one day his father can just walk up the staircase and he'll be home yeah but i mean it doesn't show if they do that or not but i think it's kind of i guess for us to um debate but i think that it's pretty much he he doesn't do that (laughs) i don't think it's gonna happen no i think it's the it's sad because it's this plan he has to free his father and you know he has this aspiration to make all this money and work hard to get it and he thinks if he does that then he'll get the house and his father will be fine but in reality that's probably not what's going to happen yep he will hit too many natural roadblocks and the right. way of people just, that are come from lower class. Exactly. Just as he has as he has his whole life and yeah. as his whole family has their whole life. And he'll never break free. He'll never break through the the glass ceiling of of poverty. And his father will never be freed. And he'll be stuck living in the basement of that house until he dies or something pretty much what a miserable existence oh god it's just awful just by yourself in a basement yep. i would go crazy oh for sure <laughs> yeah um should we move on to 1917 yeah i mean i mean there's a lot here but there's a lot here i basically just see parasite it's incredible um yes definitely see it i mean hot damn it's 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 incredibly heavy and i think that it is so so relevant in like a modern world uh it's the it's the kind of issue that just won't it's not about to go away like Mm -mm. class struggle is so real and it's so impactful and so devastating and this movie shows that i think in a very honest way uh and it, it it's heightened and it's you know allegorical but it's not 
unrealistic in its portrayal of the problem and it's not um it doesn't try to demonize anyone it doesn't try to overplay good versus evil it's just it's just showing it's just a this is what is going on yeah it's just this like it's how it works societal cancer that is just ravaging us and will continue to do so um, but it, it draws attention to something incredibly important and it does it in an incredible way. And I just want to say one more thing about it. <laughs> the shot of when the boy is, uh, tells the story of seeing the man coming from the basement uh, early on in the movie before we know what that is. And you just see the eyes coming up over the stairwell in like total silence. Whew! That was that was spooky. That was a really good shot. Spooky chills. Spooky chills. That was like the coolest shot in the movie yeah. to me. It was really good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. Really movie. well done. Yeah. Um. And moving on to something not related at all. Very different. <laughs> Just so very different. So different. Yeah. Uh. Nineteen seventeen. Here it is. And um. This movie isn't necessarily style over substance. It has both. But I think a lot of what we probably are going to touch on is style. Style. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's a war movie, mm-hmm. which means which war? World War One. <laughs> yeah, the Great War, the war to end all wars. Uh, probably my favorite war as far as like a historical interest point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so happy this movie was made. I'm so happy we got a legitimate modern World War One movie that's like this scale and this competently done and yeah i just world war ii was like our war that we grew up watching movies about and yeah it's definitely discussed a lot more than world war one yeah and i feel like people don't get it people who have heard about like i definitely there are people that still think that like World War One was a battle between Nazis and allies. And it's like, well, Nazi party wasn't a thing yet. So mm-hmm. no. And also like, you know, there was no Holocaust. There was no, it wasn't really a war being fought about ideal ideological stuff. It was just this giant cluster of treaties activating based on like one guy getting killed randomly. And yeah. then it turned into like, the biggest bloodbath in the world right for like seemingly no reason which i think is extra harrowing and you know fr- frustrating about it as, yeah. a, as a conflict so that's world war one that's world war one that's um, not the movie <laughs> the movie begins with these two soldiers and they're talking and then they start walking into the trenches yep. and the camera is following or they're following the camera technically. Yeah. Um, and then the camera never stops. <laughs> doing that. Never stops doing that. Yeah. It's like one giant. It's a giant tracking shot. Continuous, unbroken tracking shot. At least it's presented that way. It's presented that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when movies are filmed like this in a way that they want you to think it's just one continuous shot, there are little breaks in between that yep. they kind of cleverly disguise um some of them you know only have a few it's still a really impressive it's feat. unbelievable like i mean if you've seen children of men uh which as far as i was concerned was like the best movie for tracking shots like up to this point um 
this takes it up to like a way higher degree of like how impressive that can be as a thing. Yeah, I remember like maybe 15 minutes into the film, I turned to Andrew and I was like, is this still that same shot? (laughs) (laughs) Did I miss it? Because I'm pretty sure. It is. Yep. The only the only moment where it appears to break or could break and isn't just like a hidden transition. Right. It's a pretty obvious one. I think I know what you're talking about. When he passes out. Passes out. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, the the lead character that the camera's following uh falls down a stairwell and blacks out and comes to later. And while the camera maybe didn't necessarily move during that time. Uh, it is the only obvious transition moment. Um, it's the only time this guy gets a little nap. Gets a little bit of a rest. <laughs> Can you imagine No. the stamina No. to do what this guy did? Absolutely not. I was tired. Watching him? I was tired. Listen to the part that I was tired at. <laughs> Them climbing out of the trenches. The yeah, time. the yeah. first like 10 minutes. I was like, they have so much stuff in their backpacks. And oh yeah, they're carrying they have so m- even their like clothes weigh so much, yep. and they're walking so far, and <laughs> they're not even close to getting there yet. And they're and while they're going across no man's land, uh, they have all these obstacles to kind of go over too. So it's not like they're just walking on a little paved oh, sidewalk no. by any they're means. They're like slipping and sliding yeah. through mud and stuff. Dead bodies everywhere. The ground is corpses. Like yeah, it's it is the best most honest portrayal of what a world war one battlefield looked like that I've ever seen. Horrific. Absolutely nightmare fuel. Like I cannot imagine living through that and coming out on the other side and having like an intact mind. Right. Like that's just, there's no way it's insane. It's the stuff of nightmares. Like, mm-hmm. and, and to think about them just, you know, so so many soldiers just enduring that and and pushing through it. And this this story is obviously like sort of an exceptional instance of you know these two young men doing extraordinary measures to like do something, but right. that is not at all taking away from like what every single guy who went up over the trench you know had to do. Right. Um, and their whole, their whole mission is to basically deliver the message to a company that is planning an attack on the Germans and the Germans actually already know about the attack and, um, they are kind of faking, they're faking retreat, a retreat so that they can lure the British into a trap and like basically just massacre them. Yep. So, uh, these two soldiers are. Their task is to bring them the note to not attack. Yeah. And one of the soldiers, his brother, is in that yeah. company. A la Saving Private Ryan vibes. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of that. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, what was I say? But also I think that that works as like a really strong motivator. Sure. It's, I think they chose him yeah. knowing that he would be more motivated to get right. there. Um. I think it's about 1,600 men that they say would die yeah. if they don't get there in time. Which, honestly, that's an incredibly small number. Right, in, in the World grand scheme of things. It's it's 
kind of weird that like an, a general would even care uh, enough to like try to stop that because it's just to them like that is such a small number uh so if anything felt unrealistic to me about this whole movie it was just that but what but, i love about this though and is like that it's a little story that's part of a big story because yeah, like you know too. there's like so many things like that during the war that happened i mean there's probably like so many stories that you don't hear yep. um, with fewer amounts of people. Yeah. But so I, I like that about it. Yeah, and it still too. feel it still makes it feel like monumental. Yes. For Anyways. Sure. Um just seeing like I'll just say what my favorite part of the movie was. Okay. I feel like yours is gonna be different because I feel like everyone I've talked to has the same favorite part and it's not my favorite part. Not like um, other boys. Yeah, I'm not like <laughs> other boys. Um, so my favorite part is literally just that the whole opening, like them being given the mission, them walking out of the command bunker, like talking about like how they should go about this, and then like talking to that frontline officer who's just like absolutely like done with life at this yeah. point, and thinks that they're just going on a suicide mission basically yeah and the, all the tension leading up to them finally poking their heads up over the trench and then them crossing no man's land and the tension of that music and like it's so well done it so grips you well like i didn't want to get up I, my my <laughs> my heart was like in my throat for yeah the whole time like them and crossing I, no man's land mm -hmm. uh the the bodies, the barbed wire, the like destroyed tank. There's like dead horses everywhere. Like it's just, it's so spooky, like how quiet it is, you know, like it's just death and there's nothing else. And right. it's, there's, and it's so, it's, it's like if, if hell were a place, right. We're like a place you could fathom with your mind. Like that's what it would look like. And yeah. And, up until this point, uh, they hadn't been able to gain even, you know, inches on this land. The yeah. Germans were holding it pretty steady. Yeah. Yep. And then like them, them. And then Wonder Woman came out of the trenches. Oh, right. And just distracted the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that part? Yeah, no, I remember that in this movie. <laughs> okay, well, what were you saying? <laughs> um, so, uh. That that is my favorite part of that movie. I know. But, um, I keep thinking about it, but it's definitely not relevant to this <laughs> whatsoever. Uh so them crossing no man's land, getting to the German trench, and I love how much you see and are not told in this movie. Like you can just see that the German trenches are way nicer. Like the British trenches oh, yeah. they're like these ramshackle like oh we just got to put up an emplacement the germans are like we're holding up here boys like let's make this let's put our german right. engineering to work actual like, bunks yeah like yeah. actual bunks deep deep underground like they're safe from any kind of like artillery fire the the walls are like structured with like concrete blocks and stuff mm -hmm. like they even took the time to booby trap the damn thing yeah like as they got out they they booby trapped it all this stuff and just seeing the the disparity between the two trenches without having to be told like yeah 
anything. You just see it. It was pretty it. clear. Yeah. I, I love that. I love how good this movie was at showing and not needing to tell. Um, did you have a favorite part? Yeah. And it's probably obvious about, you know, what part it is. Uh, the part where he, he's at the kind of his end goal, but he can't get to the general he's trying to get to just because trenches suck. Yeah. Um, so he jumps out of the trenches and just runs past where all this, you know, artillery is being fired so he can get to the general. Yeah. I really liked that part. And, oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's designed to like heighten you and be like, oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. But the, the, the I mean, <laughs> it's funny to say because the whole movie's one shot. Yeah. But the fact that that scene is one shot and it's like truly one shot. Of, oh, my gosh. This man must have been doing so much cardio to get can ready. Can you imagine? No. I hate cardio. <laughs> I, it's the worst. Yeah. And and seeing how completely exasperated he is by the end of it, like he can barely walk. He's like clearly like half mad with the mm-hmm. effort of doing this. I love, um, I saw a behind the scenes thing saying like they only had enough explosives for four takes of that final oh, wow. trench No pressure. Scene, which is insane because there's so much logistical crap going on. And then the shot of him like running and he runs into a guy coming out of the trench and like falls, they fall into each other and he falls down and he like gets back up and tries to run (laughs) faster. And it's like, that was a mistake. Like they, they said that like, that was, that was not supposed to happen, but it adds so much to that scene. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Because you would think that that would be intentional because it's like so good in that moment. And it and it just shows how absolutely desperate like everything is. Yeah. I love that in movies when there's a mistake, but they keep it in. It's like makes it so much more real. Yeah. 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 Big fan. Uh, love that. I love interesting use of like really big actors too. Like, oh, yeah. Because the way that it's all filmed is one take. It's like. You sort of just like fall into a scene with them instead of being like, mm-hmm. this is Benedict Cumberbatch. It isn't Cumberbatch. like cut to Benedict. Yeah. yeah. It's like he goes into a building and Benedict Cumberbatch is a general that has like a hat on. And he, and turns, he turns around. And it's like, he's like pretty far away. And you're like. I'm like, Benny, you're yeah, in this What movie? are you doing over there? <laughs> and then uh, I thought that was really cool. Like it made, I think it made Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch and Mark Strong feel a lot more like. Like Normal, actors like, instead, or like the characters like the instead characters of the actors. Of the actors exactly. Yeah, like they they didn't have the prestige of being those actors. Right, they were just they were just just people. guys. Yeah, <laughs> I really liked that. Um, I really liked just how like there was great continuity uh, that they must have like had to think so much about in maintaining the stuff, like the shot where he's. Um, about to get into a, another like combat scene from the last time, which was like when he killed the pilot of the German plane that had crashed. And this is like way later. And before he goes into the fight, he clears the breach of the gun and like gets the, the spent casing out. And yeah. it's like, it's like they, an am- they thought about that. Yeah. It's like an amazing attention to detail. Yeah. Like they thought about the fact that he had left that in there, that last fight, because he didn't think to get it out because he was, like, right. helping his stabbed friend. Right, which I'm glad he brought that up because I wanted to talk about how I didn't expect the friend to be stabbed so soon. Nope. 
Wasn't expecting. I genuinely so didn't quick. know that. Like I didn't. Think I thought that he was like the, the main, main guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the trailer makes him out to be, and and the the camera even starts on him. Yeah, and, and even the other without guy feels secondary. Yeah, and even without the trailer, which I like barely. I didn't really go into this movie remembering much from the trailer or anything. So, you know that that was good. That is good. <laughs> so I didn't have expectations, and I just I don't know. I just thought that character was there to the end. Yeah. At least. Yeah. My expectations from watching the trailer were how the hell did they get away with just making Dunkirk again? <laughs> it's yeah, like, it no. is exactly the same. Like the clicking, uh, the ticking the clock tick, yep. motif, the um, font of like the 1917 and the, the color palette of like the landscape over the black mm-hmm. around the lettering. And the same, it's the same font, the same like editing and pacing and stuff. Uh, everything's like the same color palette in general. I don't know if Roger Deakins did cinematography for Dunkirk, but I know he's worked with Chris Nolan before. And I also know that Roger Deakins is literally a celestial being of cinematography. Like, I don't, I don't know how that guy does it, but everything he touches is absolute gold. And I think it's so funny. We talked about in the previous uh, podcast episode, how, uh, of all the years that the lighthouse of all the things the lighthouse got nominated for it was cinematography mm-hmm. and roger deakins in 1917 and i'm like oh god like how yeah. can i choose one i over know the other? your one favorite movie ever <laughs> yeah and it's in the category with like the best cinematographer of all time of all time doing like maybe one of his most ambitious projects ever and i don't know how to choose yeah but they're both winners, I'll say that. Yeah, and it was great cinematography, not just because of kind of like the, um, gimmick. the gimmick of yeah. the one-shot thing, but there were a lot of shots that were really Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. I thought, actually, what you were going to say was your favorite scene because so many other people have said this, was when he's in the city at night and the flares are going over and the light oh, yeah, keeps that, shifting. I do love that. Incredible. Yeah. Like, that is such a magnificent bit and and the way they made that too i don't know if you saw this but they made a a model of that entire set and like had the flares on trajectories that they had like wireframe for to like get the lighting right and oh, like wow. match it with the full size thing it's amazing just so much planning also there is a lot of running in this scene too yep. this man must lot. be so tired that's also the only scene where we see a civilian is uh, yep and he goes into that basement and sees that French woman with the baby. Yeah, a civilian and definitely the only scene with a woman. Yes. And um, randomly, he acquired milk earlier in the movie and put it in his canteen because they were at a farm earlier. Wow, this feels like a video game. Oh, yeah. Like a, <laughs> Let me just open my item bag. <laughs> yeah, op- <laughs> open inventory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, and then he's over encumbered and then he can't run. Which is all he does is run. Anyway, he happens to have milk for this baby, mm-hmm. which clearly hasn't had milk in a long time because she's not the mother of this baby. And uh, that felt, uh, arguably, you could say that's a little too like serendipitous and feels a little too much like movie magic. Sure. I think it worked. I'm okay with movie yeah. magic. Anyway. I'm o- I am okay with movie magic in general. And I think that this movie is like, heightened enough it's riding this really nice line i think between uh 
Hollywood and like very authentic action and yeah and stuff like that and and it's it's writing that line so perfectly that like whenever it crosses anything I don't I don't care I right. feel like it gets the important stuff right and anything that feels heightened is like enough of being there for a story that I'm like that's okay I'm okay with that um score was great yeah I like the score real like a lot of tension it was very intense Sam Mendes is just awesome. Like, I hope that Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins have a very long future together. That would be a great pairing. Because Skyfall uh, was them and is one of the most visually magnificent movies I've ever seen. Like, who knew a Bond movie could be that beautiful? Um, Okay, Thomas Newman did the score for 1917. Okay. He's really good. He also seems like he was like pulling on some Hans Zimmer strings in this particular yeah. movie. Well, it seems like it's very Dunkirk esque, so yes. I'm sure they were inspired. Yeah. By that too. Hey, remember Dunkirk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's are... make that, but 20 years earlier. <laughs> like that's what this felt like. Yeah. Um, and a linear story instead of jumping around because we're not Christopher Nolan. <laughs> we don't have to do that. Christopher Nolan is an ambitious son of a bitch. Oh man, Tenet. You've seen the trailer for that? I have. I have to watch it again. Um, he has been quoted as saying it's his most ambitious film yet. I don't even know what that could look like. I don't know what that even really means. Like for Inception him. changed everything. Yeah. Interstellar changed everything. Interstellar <laughs> is like huge. Yeah. I mean, I'm Interstellar so excited. was too. I'm excited too. The Dark Knight changed everything. Like everything <laughs> he's done has just been like, that's oh, true. that's movies are different now because yeah, of you. Because so, of you. Thanks. So what are you gonna change now? <laughs> We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Oh, I'm excited. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, so, yeah, that was 1917. I love this movie. I think it's one of the best war movies I've seen in a very long time. I really loved it, too. And I didn't expect to, not because I don't like war movies or because it didn't look good. I just feel like there's just so many war movies that I'm like, yeah. oh, another one. It just feels like another, like... No, I get it. Yeah. So I wasn't really sure what I would think, but it ended up being surprisingly great yeah i think it's magnificent i think i i think i like it more than dunkirk honestly okay i loved dunkirk yeah um i'm really sad that this movie is not playing in imax locally it should if any movie deserves it i think it's this one is it it must be an imax somewhere somewhere right just not here okay it's so upsetting though like i go see it again in imax oh me too (laughs) If I can, if I can find the means to do that. Yeah. Um, we'll keep an eye out for that. Yes, yeah, Sako Cinemagic. Yeah, looking at you. <laughs> um, I I would say anyone who is anyone should probably see this movie. Uh it's not yeah. like a niche audience kind of not thing. Not at all. It's definitely very general audience friendly. Yeah. But it's also beautiful and mm-hmm. magnificent and just so well done. Yeah. And I still think it has like more impact than like a Marvel movie, you know? Like, oh yeah. Despite absolutely. the fact that the same kind of people might go see it. Sure. Um, yeah. It's, and it's not, I don't think it's emotionally too heavy handed. I think it does a really good job of like letting the story make you feel things instead of absolutely does. knocking you over the head, Steven Spielberg style or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it ends is so good. I think with him just sort of oh yeah sitting down like he did it. It was just, just over. 
It's over. Not this big, like... The war's not over. It's over. Let's talk about how it's over. Like, it's just over It doesn't, him. like, jump to him being an adult, yeah. like, older, you know, like, that part, family. Yeah, that portion is over, and there's still way more yeah, I just <laughs> to worry love about. That. I, love, I love that the movie essentially was just literally following a guy for a mission, and, like, that's the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. That was really good. So definitely get out and see 1917 if you haven't already. In theaters if you can. Yes, yeah. in theaters is ideal. Yep. Definitely. Great spectacle movie. Um, and Parasite, I, is it coming back to cinemas for the... Um, it's probably in some. I know it's in some around here just because of Oscars. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, so you can probably still get out and see Parasite. If you can, definitely do it. That's more of a movie I think you can watch at home and it's like yeah. the same experience. Yeah, you don't need like the grandeur of the... Yeah, but... It is still a, a great looking movie and I don't mean to say that I don't mean to belittle it visually. It's definitely like a, a competently visual movie. Um, it's just that it's like a smaller movie in, yeah. in that regard. And I think you can just watch it at home and have the same sort of experience. Uh, but whatever you do, definitely you should see it. I think that it's one of the most poignant uh, topical movies that I can imagine uh, being made today without feeling like really gross and politically mm -hmm. heavy handed and yeah. like it's maybe not going to stand the test of time. I feel like this is literally a story that will always be a part of the human condition in a really horrible way. But this movie does a great job of showcasing it without preaching, I think. I think I agree. So get out there, watch Parasite, watch 1917, watch more movies in general. Movies are good, guys. Yeah, they're great. How about those movies? And then after you watch them, come listen to us talk about them. Yeah. We do we do a pretty good job talking about movies. Oh, self-praise. A little bit of self-praise. <laughs> it's not really for me, though. It's like for us. Yeah. Know? It's like a gestalt. We get better together. Yeah. I'm, oh, shoot. Who am I together? I'm just nuts <laughs> on my own. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Eric, do you have anything else? Uh, No, I'm sorry I talked so much. It's okay. That's all the whole point that's true i'm, just, I'm sorry to do it so much though <laughs> all right <laughs> bye bye